Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Inner Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Carolina Salazar, and I hope that you're doing incredible. I'm personally doing amazing. I'm so, so happy. I'm actually in Hawaii right now. I'm in Oahu with my parents, my brother and his girlfriend, and then Pedro and his parents. And I am so happy to be here. I didn't realize how much I missed nature and the beach and the sunshine and the sand and just like everything about a tropical lifestyle as someone who lived in florida for so long i didn't realize how much i missed it because i had not gone back to florida since january and when i first moved to new york i went back to florida quite a lot and so coming back here has been really healing for me i'm like so tan already and i'm so overjoyed to be in this kind of weather and to be surrounded by family and interestingly enough even though pedro and i are family friends we have actually never done a trip where both of our parents are there and then just us and like our immediate family. We have done trips with like more family around or more friends or trips where Pedro came on a vacation with my parents and I or I went with his parents and him. So this is a really unique, amazing time and I'm just so happy to be here. And I think it's so funny. I was thinking about sharing this because even though I think it's a little TMI, like I'm never too... TMI on here anyway because I share so openly with you guys but I actually had a longer cycle menstrual cycle in this particular cycle because I think I've just been a little bit overwhelmed with like a lot of family was visiting and I was running a lot and just like running all over the place so I ended up having quite a long cycle and literally like all it took was getting into nature like putting my feet in the sand getting into the ocean and then the next day I get my period So it just goes to show how like getting into the feminine and connecting with nature is like a straight path into connecting you with your body and helping your body feel safe and regulating your nervous system. And then like, boom, my period came. So just so funny, but it's making me feel really good. Like I'm so happy to have my period. And even though I'm in a beach vacation, I don't mind it. And I am just so overjoyed and feeling so grounded and so happy. And just like, I just look at the beach and I'm like, how is this real? It's so beautiful here. But anyway, that's a little life update. And on today's episode, we are in for a super interesting guest conversation. I interviewed Jess Esfandiari and she is the host of the Open Late podcast. I actually went on her podcast as well to talk about my body image healing journey and just my personal growth journey. So that will be out next week. Make sure to go check it out. And on our conversation, I really picked her brain on so many different things because Jess is a really unique person and she's unlike anyone else that I have ever met. And I really see her chart getting so like embodied and throughout her story, especially her Scorpio energy, because she is able to talk about a bunch of taboo topics with 
so much openness with so much ease and with so much just like effortless beauty and I love that about her and in this conversation I really wanted to hear from her about her own inner growth journey and there was a lot of different elements to that but one thing that I really wanted to learn from her specifically was her story around healing and how that tied to her own health history and then discovering eastern medicine and exploring mushrooms as a healing modality and how that eventually led her to become a reiki healer a yoga instructor and just to have a 360 change in her life so that was really beautiful and i'm so excited for you guys to hear about that because i haven't had anyone on the podcast to talk about psilocybin and it's something that i'm constantly wanting to learn more about and i'm really curious about so that was awesome And then we also dove into her romantic relationship because Jess is actually in an open relationship with her husband. And I haven't had anyone come on the podcast either to talk about that. And even though I am in a monogamous relationship and plan on being in one and I'm super happy, I am super interested in hearing other people's experiences and lifestyle choices. And so if you're listening and you're someone who has thought about an open relationship before or who's curious about polyamory, I think you'll find this really interesting and even if you are a monogamous person it also will teach you a lot about other people's choices and how everyone is so different and how it all kind of comes back to the idea of love and what that means to every person. So, I'm super excited for you to dive into this topic and into this episode and if you're enjoying inner growth if you're a returning listener and these episodes have given you value or just opened your eyes to new things it would mean the world to me if you left a review on Apple and if you hit subscribe on Apple or on Spotify you'll be the first to know when there's a new episode because you'll get a little notification so you can do that by hitting the bell icon on Spotify and the plus button on the top right corner of Apple so without further ado Let's dive into this beautiful episode. I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you on the other side and let's get growing. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy we're doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my god, I'm so excited. We had chatted like before recording and I feel like this episode is going to be so great and we're doing for anyone listening we're doing a little podcast swap so I'm going to be on Jess's podcast which is called Open Late and then you can obviously get to know Jess more through my podcast so I'm super excited we're going to talk all about healing and like mushroom journeys and yeah. non-monogamy and all things so I'm super curious to just like get to know you more and hear more about like your own life experiences too so we were talking about this before we recorded too but you were saying like oh I've lived like so many more years than you so I'm sure that you know has been so amazing for your growth too and that you've learned a ton from it so yeah I know it's gonna be great yeah thank you so much I'm excited to dive in yes me too so the first thing I always ask my guests is what is your sun moon and rising I love to talk about myself. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, please. Let's it's clear in my astrology. astrology. <laughs> um, so I am an Aquarius sun sign. My rising sign is Scorpio. And my moon is in Leo. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So you have moon literally like in the top of your chart. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because everyone who I know that is a Scorpio rising, I feel like, you know, 
it really shines in their career because you have Leo ruling your 10th house or like your midheaven. So with the moon there too, it's almost like the Scorpio is like talking about taboos, like breaking taboos, like going deep. And then the moon there is like the extra passion that you get. It's so wild, like the careers that I've ended up in in my life, truly, with this sort of astrological makeup. And I do two of the most, I think, taboo things in society currently, which are non-monogamy and working with psychedelics. It's yeah. so funny. And Scorpio is also wow. my my south node. So in many Whoa. ways, a lot of these things that are part of like how I present to society and work on in my career, um, I am at a level of like mastery of them and I am ready to move into something new. So it's interesting. I'm having a big life transition. But you have your north node in the seventh house of relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's in Taurus. My north node is Taurus. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like mm-hmm. the, what the north node currently is in also. So you're having your nodal return right now. Yes. Yeah. I'm having a time (laughs) and it feels really good. I actually like one of my favorite astrologers. I don't know if you follow him. He's actually a New Yorker, but I think he's currently living in Italy. Colin Vidal, Queer Cosmos. I'm obsessed with him. His Um, energy is so good. He's so good. And I, I subscribe to his daily updates. So every morning I get a little text message from him and this morning just really resonated and I feel so much like I am exactly where I'm supposed to be and I've said yes to all the right things to move me into the sort of position that I'm in right now and very much in flow and in in stillness and learning how to be like the bull in the pasture. Yeah. And like Mm -hmm. especially within any partnerships, any relationships, like embodying that even more. Yeah. It's it's really fun. Mm -hmm. Wow. And do you resonate with being an Aquarius? I do. Oh, yes. My entire life, I feel like up until this point has actually been about community. I've been hyper concerned with community building and organizing and the fact that we really should be in right relationship with the collective. And I'm very eccentric and can be distant to even like my closest people and lovers. And um, I've gotten that feedback a lot over the years. Yeah. But I, I really do resonate with being an Aquarius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so interesting. I actually don't know too many Aquarian women in like my life. Like my mom is an Aquarius moon and like my brother is an Aquarius. But the women in my life, like actually I'm not as familiar with like how it comes to life, you know, mm. in women. So that's super interesting to see like how it affects everyone differently. But navigating that like analytical side of you with also that desire to like bring groups together and like being more group oriented too. Yeah. Usually Aquarius women are like crusaders in society fighting for, you know, some kind of cause to better humanity. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. And one thing that I'm super excited to pick your brain on because I haven't had anyone to talk about on the podcast is your mushroom experiences. Because Mm -hmm. as we were talking about before we recorded, that kind of came first, right? And then it also then led into your romantic experiences and non-monogamy and polyamory and all the things. And then of course your podcast and like talking about these things very openly. So can you kind of take me through the journey and maybe if you feel called to also share what kind of growth came 
from that experience with the mushrooms first, and then we'll dive into polyamory a little bit more. Yeah. Thank you for the the question. It's, it's such a big space to talk about, but I guess I can start with my own journey with plants started kind of a little bit later, I think, than what most people do in their lives, like experimenting with certain plants or psychedelics or drugs, like whatever you classify them as. I, I grew up in nightlife from a very young age. I was working in restaurants, bars, nightclubs. I got my first job at 14, but it was in a pub, but it was a restaurant pub. So I was busting tables, but like I would always hang out and like find myself in these, you know, interesting places when I was younger, you know, learning how to bartend and thinking that was really cool at 18. And I never touched a drug the entire time I was working in nightlife. And it was a good 16 years of my life, just alcohol, which is kind of the worst drug. I was very terrified of drugs, period. Mm -hmm. I just kind of like had, you know, that I think cultural message of like drugs are terrible for you. You know, I'm much older than you, but I grew up with the commercials in the 90s of like the egg frying in a pan. This is your brain on drugs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was, you know, living in Vegas for a big chunk of my 20s, about six years working in nightclubs on the strip at the Wynn and Encore and in that environment, people are doing drugs all the time. And I just had this like very resistant feeling about them, which I'm so grateful for now because I'm really glad that I didn't do things in that party environment. And it wasn't until I went to Burning Man for the first time, I think I was 29, where I experimented a little bit with mushrooms And I mean, I was always the person who was terrified that like giant pink Mm. elephants would come chasing me and that I was going to have like a really bad trip and never come back from it and be like a, you know, a shell of a person walking down the street talking to myself. Like, I don't know who scared the living shit out of me, but that's just how it was. And so I went into this environment of like complete self-expression and acceptance and love. And I was actually finally surrounded with a group of people that were very loving and compassionate and felt like family. I was with my husband and it was our first uh, Burning Man together. And so I felt safe enough to take some mushrooms. And the first time that I ever took them, I had such a crazy experience because I took way too many. It was sort of an accidental, like we just didn't realize like how much was in our batch of chocolate. Were you like intending on doing like a microdose that time or did you want like a full dose? I wanted somewhere in between those two things. Like I wanted Mm -hmm. enough to have a really good time, but not what happened to me. We like took something absurd. Um, Like I, I think I ended up like having almost five grams, which is a lot of mushrooms for people who don't know anything about the dosage. And this is like 10 years ago at this point. But it was such a wild experience and I got through it. And I remember there were points that were really overwhelming and scary. And I just had to keep reminding myself, like, you're just on a substance and this is going to not feel like this in a couple of hours. And so I didn't really let myself have like a beautiful experience where like I learned anything about myself or was really profound, but it was in the sense that I realized like, 
I got myself. And there was like this inner voice that was like, you're safe. Yeah, this is scary. And it's going to show you some parts of your brain that you're uncomfortable with. But it was a really interesting first time. And I'm so grateful for it because after that, I was like, well, I can handle anything. (laughs) If I can make it through that and come out feeling, you know, a little bit changed because it was so powerful and it was such a big amount. And what was the scary part? Um, just the dark parts of my mind that were unknown to me, sort of the subconscious fears that I have that are, you know, under the surface, a lot of shadow. There were just a lot of fears around like not being safe, you know, having my boundaries crossed, like whether it be intimately or sexually as like a young woman kept coming up for me and just not being safe like with all the violence in the world and then the sadness for you know just like violence that happens at scale that we witness all over the world and it was a lot of that it was very dark but I kept reminding myself like in this moment I'm safe and Yeah. So it's like such a a wild story to share with you, but it was the dawn of like my relationships with psychedelics. And Mm -hmm. after that experience, I was like, wow, I've always been a seeker and I've always been very curious about the way that the mind works. Even 10 years ago, which was the beginning of my journey as a coach and a facilitator and just like as a guide. And I was starting my own spiritual journey. I had been going to yoga and starting to learn meditation. So I knew this would be an accelerator for me. And after that experience at Burning Man and I kind of, you know, dabbled in a few other psychedelics that I was always afraid to, but I felt like I was in a safe environment. I came home and started to really explore, you know, and sometimes recreationally, but a lot more in the way that they were a healing modality. And Mm -hmm. so to your question to go within. Yeah. Like what was the biggest growth? I think for me was, you know, over the years of working with psilocybin first, just on my own and studying it, like the effects on me. I think the biggest growth for me was realizing what a tool it was for transformation. And if I had the ability to help people and guide people through their own with different, you know, energy practices and just tools that I have, whether it be breath work or yoga working with psilocybin, then I felt like that was my highest calling at that point in my life, which was, you know, kind of the culmination of the last three or four years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have like so many questions, but the first thing I kind of want to dive into, and this is like, I kind of have like listened to some podcasts about psilocybin and different people's experiences. And I've like not experimented with it as much as I would like. Like, I think I've tried it like twice Mm. but it was like a microdose so I haven't like fully had that like real like spiritual experience with it as a tool right but I have done a good amount of learning around it and like Mm -hmm. I've curiously explored learning about what it can cause for people and what it can activate so for anyone listening that like is completely unfamiliar with it can you just dive into it a little bit like what different like transformation can it cause you know in people or even more like the scientific part if you want to dive into that sure well I'll start with the disclaimer of I'm not a medical professional or a scientist um and there are so many incredible people out there and I am happy to provide like books and recommendations for resources but yeah I mean I can certainly share from 
my experience and perspective and what I understand about the science is and you've also facilitated it for other people so you've mm-hmm. also seen it like from the third yeah. person's yeah. perspective totally and you know it, it is something that I think hopefully we'll live in a world where people are able to work with guides and you know eventually even train themselves to do this in a safe way because everyone should have access to to these tools and I think safety and harm reduction is like the best thing that we can do so yes like I'm happy to share it and I am happy to also step into like the appropriate realm that I can with the the training that I have so as far as the science behind it what psychedelics and we'll just take psilocybin for example do is they work on the brain in such a way that it really manipulates the the way that your neurotransmitters communicate with one another essentially and for people listening who don't have like you know we won't go into like a lot of talk about the brain just to keep it really simple what happens is certain parts of your brain go to sleep and other parts of your brain come online essentially. So the subconscious Mm -hmm. mind, which generally our ego spends a good 99% of the time trying to keep under wraps so that we can stay safe. Like all of the fearful thoughts or shadow thoughts tend to be able to come to the surface. And the ego, people will describe it as an ego death, starts to like arrest for a moment. Yeah. And so people describe an ego death as like a very uncomfortable thing because it is a very powerful part of the brain. And it's like number one job is to keep you safe. It's like the ego is just trying to keep us safe and like protected and it doesn't want us to face our shadows, right? Mm -hmm. It like wants you to stay in like what you know, what's like the comfy part -hmm. of your brain. But then at the same time, the ego can have such another, you know, effect on us where it causes us to like identify with certain things out of wanting to protect ourselves or get triggered by certain things so it's such a duality yeah and and what happens too in in trying to keep us safe is it wants to recreate the expected and what happens is then for your life if you sort of allow the ego to run the show you will just create the past in the future in different experiences Mm. so Yeah, I I once heard it described, and I really love this analogy of taking a psychedelic like psilocybin is imagine you're a skier and the slopes all day long kind of have certain paths that people have been going down. And your brain is sort of like that. If you kind of repeat the same patterns or you have, you know, just the same routine every day or the same thoughts, the same limiting beliefs in your head, you're sort of going down the slopes and you're making these grooves deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until eventually when you're at the top of the hill, you really only have that one way to go because the grooves are so deep. Well, a lot of times a psychedelic can actually take the path and wipe the slate clean so that you can go any way you want. And that's the beauty of it is you can actually rewire which connections in your brain are going to happen because you know your neurons that like fire together wire together so you have the limiting thoughts but if you sort of wipe everything clean you can create new connections you can go down new paths and new pathways <laughs> exactly so i mean the the possibilities are so limitless because what i believe and this is like 
probably my biggest learning is, you know, we are all so connected. We are all in such a space of connectivity, right? With entanglement theory, like everything I do affects the people around me and vice versa. And so once you kind of believe that and realize that you can tap into collective consciousness, it's so expansive. So with your mind, you have access to, to everything. Um, and so I think that's the reason too, that I loved working with them, doing them myself, and then beginning to study them for other people and going back because I just felt like the the healing work is, it's like an onion. It's sort of never ending. You can just continue to peel back the layers. Yeah. And I mean, one of the other things I'll share is I think working with, you know, these substances and having a proper guide who has been trained in whatever style or, or lineage that they've been, as long as you have like a proper integration practice, it is really safe to, you know, go back and sort of do it again or use it as a tool for yourself, whether it's like something for your inner growth that you do once a year or twice a year and check in and then take all the learnings away from that ceremony or that experience and use them as your roadmap for like, okay, this is what I'm up to for the next six months. I'm going to start a meditation practice. I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to have those challenging conversations with my family members so that I could forgive and move on. Like whatever that looks like, I always... Tell people you've got to put it into practice or else the kind of journey that you had or the ceremony that you had really just becomes like a fun memory and not really a transformative experience. For sure. So when you say integration practice, it's almost like when you're having the mushroom experience or the psilocybin experience, for example, you're learning so much about yourself and your shadow side and your ego and your beliefs and all these things. But then you also have to take time to really process that and like do something about it, basically. Totally. Got you. Got you. Got you. And something that I've heard a lot from people who have used psilocybin before as well is that it's almost helped them be less self-conscious. Like Mm -hmm. people who really struggle with you know, feeling like everyone's looking at them and everyone's perceiving them and judging them. It's like moving beyond that. Yeah, you're really getting beyond because that's the ego. That's that voice in the head that wants to limit you, wants to not have you do anything that's too noticeable or too different. Yeah, I mean, so many incredible benefits. That, you know, reduction in whatever self-consciousness or anxiety can often be reported as well as just a decrease in stress. People who suffer from PTSD report that they have, you know, sometimes no symptoms and that can last for three months, six months, nine months. I mean, people report having, you know, reduced insomnia or even physical pain after experiences like this, fear of death. Uh, goes away for a lot of people after a mushroom journey. There's a lot of really cool clinical trials that are happening right now in Canada, actually in Toronto. Um, Some of my friends have a clinic there and it was the first place in Canada to approve these trials for psychedelic use for people for end of life therapy. So essentially people who are moving into hospice care are um, having access to psilocybin to help them with their transition. And that's such a beautiful thing that we're seeing happen. I mean, so many benefits, um, connection to 
people around you, you know, whether it be family, friends, community, there's so many beautiful health benefits too. I just can't say enough about the use of it. No, yeah, I feel like that is like the beautiful thing about it is that also for every single person, I feel like their experience is similar in many ways, but also really unique and really personal. Totally. And when you were sharing about like your first experience, right? Like not being so great, being kind of intense, like all the shadows coming to the surface out of nowhere. And I mean, some of those shadows being like fear of like violence and the danger around us and all these things and your own safety. As you continued to explore with it on your own personal journey, did anything else rise to the surface or what do you feel like you were able to unlock? Yeah, great question. I I feel like I unlocked so much of my personal creativity. I think that was one of the biggest things that I was able to foster by working with psilocybin plants in general. I have a lot of experience working with ayahuasca as well. That's like one of the plants I love the most. And I mean, everything from actually healing a lot of those parts of myself that were unable to sort of hold space for violence, trauma, sexual trauma, and things like that, and integrating those parts of me that created that sort of fragmented experience of myself, my younger self, and bringing it home. And then also like working on my relationship with work and overwhelm and workaholism my self-worth conversation big time rose to the surface of, you know, I actually don't equal my output. Like I do not equal just like what I can create period or how much income I can have. Like that does not dictate like who I am. Uh, That was a big, big one for me. Realizing that I wanted to have children and, and like fully feeling capable of motherhood came in ceremony space. So many different big markers for my life. But I would say like my favorite one was actually creativity because it was in, it was actually in a mushroom journey that I was at in Nepal that I kind of, I brought my own, (laughs) I brought my own mushrooms into this experience. Mm -hmm. But I was in Nepal back in 2017 and I went to this incredible temple to have sound meditation with Tibetan bowls. So these are like for people listening, like those big brass bowls or metal bowls that are gold looking, they're brass that are played. And it was like a 90 minute session with a third generation healer and it's his family hand pounded these bowls. And I had just like a little bit of chocolate. It was a microdose. But I had been trekking the Annapurna circuit for like 20 days. And that was sort of my treat for myself. I'm like, when I cross the wrong law at, you know, 18,000 feet in the air, I'm <laughs> coming down and going to do a little bit of mushrooms. So I'm in this like beautiful place in this lakeside town. And I do my little microdose and I go to the sound journey. And this was the first time I had ever been in a, a sound meditation. And it blew my mind. It was one of the most pleasurable, beautiful experiences of my life. Like I had a brain orgasm, everything from the colors to my whole body just felt like nothingness. Like I was a part of space. And for that hour and a half, like I did not feel like I was of this planet. And I didn't know that that was possible. I've never experienced that. And out of all, you know, any journey that I had done and 
you know, at that point I wasn't really regularly practicing things. I had done a few ayahuasca ceremonies, meaning like maybe once or twice a year for three years, four years, maybe at that point. And I came home with a certification in sound bowls. I ended up staying longer in that town, Pakara, and I studied with that facilitator and he taught me how to use the bowls for therapy, like on people's bodies. And it was around the time that I had um, gotten attuned to Reiki and became a Reiki master. So when I came home, I started practicing with sound and energy work. And just for myself and like my friends started working with psilocybin in that context too. But a lot of it I was doing for people just completely sober. And it was the sound actually mixed with the psilocybin that was life-changing and my own creativity coming to life, using my voice and learning how to play different instruments. And so that's what really like has sparked so much transformation and joy in my own life, like using those two things together for people because the the sound and these instruments are as therapeutic, if not more therapeutic than the actual plant medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recently got my first sound bowl and it's like a tiny little like heart chakra. Oh yeah, you showed bowl. me. And it's been such a nice little ritual to do in the morning and like after I meditate or before, just like opening up that part of like my body and my energy centers and I can only imagine like actually having like a full certification on it and like pairing it with so many healing tools like how much you can unlock for other people as well and And I was here like with my mm -hmm. astrologer hat just being like oh my god it's like the Scorpio being like the so super spiritual and like deep kind of like energy that you bring but then the Taurus being like Taurus rules the throat like you know the five senses so it's like using music and using yeah. sounds and using your voice and transmuting that, you know, through like your North Node. Yeah. Well, when so, you're ready to do – yeah, I was going to say, when you're like ready to do a bit more of a deep dive, find a facilitator who does sound with their journeys, like who plays live. Because so you can go to a lot of different spaces yeah. and they'll put on a, you know, great playlist for you, which isn't bad. But if you can find someone who, you know – my partner and I did for the whole time. I'm, I'm not working at the moment because I'm getting ready to start a family, but you know, deep dive journeys where we play live for five hours for people like while wow. they're journeying. Yeah. That's amazing. Incredible. And how did you come into contact with Reiki? Cause I know you mentioned you, you know, are certified in that as well. And I have had Reiki experiences. Like I have been to sessions before and I have done a lot of chakra work on my own, just like chakra meditations, like all throughout lockdown and I feel like it's just such a beautiful modality too so how did you first come into contact with it yeah so Reiki kind of came first well after yoga so 10 years ago actually take me back like to like how you first came into contact with like any of your spiritual practices like for example yoga, and like how kind of how that led to one after the next it was a really big life shift like a huge moment in my life that sort of led me into all of the spirituality I as I mentioned earlier I was living in Vegas and 10 years ago this May so right now essentially I was diagnosed with cervical cancer and it was an aggressive form I, I literally from the moment that the doctor was like oh there's something here and you should see a specialist to when I had to have a hysterectomy 
was 11 days. And so there wasn't like much time for me to really process. And I was 28 at the time, had the surgery. And post-surgery, I had a lot of physical complications and there wasn't much support. You know, if you think about it, the way like Western medicine is set up, it's very, okay, we have this like problem. So we're going to like remove the problem, which is like a lot of organs of the body. And then the body sort of has to like relearn how to function. And my body like had a lot less lymph nodes than it did before. And that like your lymphatic system is such a big part of your body's function and drainage. It's like your body's waste management system, but no one educated me on this. So I had a lot of problems. Like I got diagnosed with lymphedema and I was having like gut issues because I had been on a lot of antibiotics and my GI tract was messed up. And then I was having severe dry skin, like on my legs and just all of these issues that seemed to be in their own lane, if you looked at it from a Western point of view. So I was seeing every specialist. And then I, this was around the time that I started my ayahuasca journey, the shaman that we were working with at the time, I had explained to him a lot of the things that were happening to me. And I was having chronic um, UTIs and bacteria and things like just everything from the belly button down. We were having a shit show. And like my- That was your Saturn return. Yeah. And wow. the shaman said to me, he's like, have you ever heard of Ayurveda? And I was like, no, I have no idea what that is. And he said, I have a friend who practices. I think like it would be worth it to have a session with her. So I met with this woman literally outside of Air One in California in Calabasas. And I believe that this session was $80 and was an hour and maybe 30 minutes we were together. It was the most life-changing catalyst in my life because she connected the dots of all of these ailments, brought it back to my lymphatic system, educated me on that, and literally just kind of helped me with like my lifestyle, the way that I was eating food, what foods I was eating, put me on some herbs, had me slow down. And that was my first foray into like Holistic, like holistic medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and true medicine, like ancient medicine that's been around and working forever and ever. And um, like one that integrates everything about body. your lifestyle and how that can then affect your physical body and your energy levels, all of that. So I'm actually super curious, when you went to that Ayurvedic doctor, did she like talk to you about your doshas? Like what is your yeah. Because I know that can kind of change Mm-hmm. In our lives, like sometimes we're more in one dosha than another. So what was the case in that session? Yeah. So I had a drastic imbalance of my vata. Like I had a high, 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 high vata, like just totally dry and airy in my whole experience. And I was like, I'm so healthy. I eat smoothies every morning. And she's like, you're <laughs> putting ice in your stomach before you even like, you know, get going for the day that's like perpetuating yeah. this problem, you know? So it was a lot of really great education and bringing me back into balance, bringing that fire back, eating warm cooked foods with some good spices. And that was like the light bulb went off for me. And I was like, wow, there has to be so much more. And then I was still working in film and TV at the time. And the it's funny because I started working on this documentary, like at the same time called Heal, 
which is all about mind body medicine. And Wait, I love that documentary. Yeah. So I so supported, good. yeah, on that film and just kind of learning all of the different, you know, holistic and I hate to call them alternative because I think it's more like, you know, real medicine, um, Eastern medicine in general. And that's where I learned about Reiki and I was like, oh, okay, energy healing. And I got attuned to Reiki like shortly after that. And then I went to my yoga teacher training after that too. Actually, as a as a thank you gift, uh, Kelly, the director and executive producer, the woman from the film, she sent me on my yoga teacher training, and and that was like that was it. So it was like okay, Reiki, yoga, and then I went to Nepal and did the sound bowl training, and you know, one thing led to another. Wow. I can't even imagine like what it must have been like to be on the set of that documentary too, because. I'm sure it was such a learning experience too. And it was such a synchronicity as well that like in your personal life, it had come in through your own like health journey as well. And it was like a deep it's dive. So wild because I never worked on a documentary before. And it was right around the time that, you know, my life was changing so quickly. And I was realizing that it was like more or less my lifestyle of stress and overwhelm, trying to be a working actor or performer. That's what I was doing. And I was producing other people's, you know, short films and web series and things like that. And I found Ayurveda and it was like, this lifestyle is really stressful. And, you know, you kind of don't feel like you're in the driver's seat. I came home and I told my husband, he had already mentioned to me, he's like, I feel like maybe this isn't a good fit because you're never actually acting. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Like the Aquarian in me was like, I'm not, I'm supposed to be doing stuff that matters. Like I want to inspire social change. And I was like, you know, maybe I should shift my focus and try to work on documentaries because I was like in film. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, I have a degree in theater and acting. And at that point I had started to like learn about film more being in LA. And I said that to him on like a Friday and (laughs) he was working at the time with someone who was connected to Kelly who was on the film and he met her and she started talking about her documentary. And he's like, my wife once just said to me that she wants to start working on documentaries. Do you need any help on the project? And she said, yeah, actually we do. I'm looking for an assistant. have her come into the office on Monday. And universe pulled through. Totally exactly. You said like, it was just mind boggling how quickly it happened because the universe was so ready for me not to be in that, you know, toxic lifestyle. Not that like that, I mean, that industry can be very toxic and it wasn't good for me. So it was like, oh, no, okay, documentaries. And then realign. It was through that film that I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to be working on documentaries. I'm supposed to be working in mind body medicine. And so that was the last project I ever worked on. I still do some fun, creative things sometimes with my friends who are all very talented and work in film and TV just for fun. But yeah, and then after that, I just really never looked back. And then I built kind of my my whole business on helping other people like heal. Wow. And was that like in your late 20s, early 30s? Yeah, that journey started at 28. And yeah, so it's been the last... 10 years. I think I was 30 or 31 when I worked on Heal. And then, yeah, just... Whoa. Did you, like, know about astrology at the time? Barely. I was like... I, was I say, mean, like, I still don't put know together it that it was your Saturn return? No, I did not know that at the time. Mm-mm. Whoa. Do you know what your Saturn is? Like, what sign it's in? 
I do not know what sign it's in. Well, I know it's the my Saturn is in my first house. So what is that? Okay, so you have Saturn in Scorpio. Yes. Whoa. Wait, I actually have one version of my chart. I have Saturn in my first house and another version I have it in my second. But so interesting. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you know this, but Scorpio, what it represents in our body, like I was saying, like Taurus is a throat. Scorpio is our reproductive organs. Mm, there you go. Talk about a death Whoa. and rebirth. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's wild. And- it is wild. And I haven't talked about this at all in a long time. I mean, I do podcasts often, but we don't always go this much in depth with like my healing journey and bringing up, you know, kind of my surgery. And it's funny that we're chatting because my husband and I just found out that we're our surrogate is pregnant. And so, yeah, throughout this entire process, like we froze eggs and embryos. So like, you know, it it really does feel like very Scorpio to have this rebirth happening now where we're able to, yeah. And you're like nodal return as well. Then it's like transforming the energy. Yeah. And actually my kids will most likely be Scorpio sun signs. (laughs) Well, because there's a potential that they're twins. I say kids, but like the- Wait, twins would be so cool. It would be really cool. We find out soon, so we'll see. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be a very like meaningful and transformative new chapter. And speaking of family and speaking of relationships, I kind of want to touch as well on the other side of your growth, which has been through your romantic relationships, your exploration of your own sexuality. So how did this kind of come up for you, right? Like yeah. you're married, you have a husband. So how did polyamory like become a part of your life? Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. It happened by accident, honestly. Um, when my husband and I met, we knew that we didn't want a traditional relationship, meaning we get together and because this is what you see in society, we're monogamous and we get married and we have a family and we're together forever. We didn't have like non-monogamy on the radar at all, but we both knew that we didn't want to do what most people do, which is pretend other people don't exist, pretend that that hot guy that just walked down the street didn't turn you on, pretend that, you know, just because now we're committed or now we're married, this entire part of my personality that likes to be flirty has to shut down. So... We sort of invited like what Esther Perel calls um, the shadow. Like she always talks about, you know, creating distance, creating mystery in your relationship, like seeing your partner from afar, seeing them in their element, whether it's being amazing at work or entertaining, talking to a room full of people, being charismatic or even flirting, how that can be actually so powerful for a relationship because it reminds you that they are their own separate person. And that's what keeps long-term relationships really spicy. So I was already a fan of her work. Codependency. Exactly. (laughs) The opposite of codependency. I was always a fan of her work. And I had been in relationships that were very restrictive. Partners were really jealous before. And they were also like very sexually repressed. And I was like, that's not what I want. I want hot, you know, whether it's monogamy or whatever, I want just like a hot relationship forever. And I want to find new ways to reinvent ourselves because it's no secret. It is basic biology that eventually that 
pheromonal or chemical response that has you like wanting to do it all the time for the first two years wears off. It is, you have to work to actually have that. And we were like committed to working on that. So we wanted to just be different. And we thought that that was revolutionary. We really did. And, you know, so whether- like in the beginning, like I, by like, for example, the two year mark, three year mark, like what did that look like? Like in the earlier well, stages? Yeah. We were already like open at that point. So six months into this like idea of being honest about, you know, oh, like that person's really hot, whatever. We had an accidental threesome where we went home with a girlfriend of mine and had an amazing night. Like it was incredibly hot, super connected, not uncomfortable in the slightest. It was like somebody that I had a great relationship with and she was just amazing, like very emotionally intelligent. We were like, okay, that was cool. Of course, a million things came up for me the next day, but we moved through it with like a lot of grace and I didn't really have a lot of jealousy. In fact, I just had shame. I was like, no one can find out. This has to be a big secret. Yeah. Like I was going to ask like what came up, like what rose to the surface the next day? Yeah. A lot of uncomfortable mm -hmm, where, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want anyone to find out. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that like she didn't tell anybody. And I just was like, you know, the whole idea of doing that felt so taboo, so like deviant. And we weren't even married at the time, but I knew we were kind of moving in that direction. But there was the other side of me that was like, that was fucking amazing. And I want to do it again. And I've been attracted to women my whole life. And I can't believe that it's taken me, you know, 28 years <laughs> to like have this happen. Um, so it was like a big duality. And I grew up, you know, going to private Catholic school, a public high school in Pennsylvania that was like rampant with purity culture terrible if not for saying like zero sex ed and just like a lot of lies around purity and like virginity which like isn't even a thing and so I had a lot of that to unpack even though like I thought I didn't subscribe to that as like a smart intellectual woman who was very independent it was still your I, programming it was so my programming yeah so you know, it took a while to unpack that, but we just decided to never put the like Pandora back in the box. I actually just was like writing about this um, when I was writing my bio. And we just decided to explore and get really curious. And we didn't like dive in. Well, we kind of, it's kind of diving in head first, right? An accidental full on threesome. <laughs> but we just decided like every now and then we'd be like, let's go have like a really hot fun experience together so we would like sign up to go to a play party together through like lifestyle lounge or we were traveling one year in Italy and we went to this incredible big like masquerade sex party outside of Venice in Italy or at Burning Man we would like we had this experience with a couple that we met at Burning Man and it just sort of kept evolving to where you know a few years in we were having easy like fun experiences where we would just date other people with, you know, your partner not even present and getting comfortable with what that looked like. Or I was dating men and I carried on a relationship with the same guy for, you know, I think almost four years before he moved to New York and Pasha dating other women. And then eventually we, about five or six years into our marriage, we met Lauren, who at first uh, started to fall in love with my husband and then 
once Lauren and I spent a little bit of time together, it was very clear that there was a connection between the two of us and the three of us carried on a relationship, a romantic relationship for a little under two years. And then, um, you know, it transitioned at first they transitioned into more of a friendship and then Lauren and I started a business together and we still call each other partner at this point in our lives, even though we have transitioned away from a romantic partnership, she is still like a life partner of mine. I mean, we consider each other in a lot of major decisions and, you know, she's my person. I I could see her having that role in my life for the rest of my life, you know? So as much as, you know, I'm married to this man and I'm having a family with him and he's my soulmate and we're about to have kids, you know, and that's what people are like, well, what's the difference between non-monogamy and polyamory? So polyamory is when you can fully, you know, be in love and, you know, many people identify this way with multiple people at the same time. And so that's been over the last 10 years as well. So so non-monogamy would be just not being only with one person, which can look like so many different things, but then polyamory being like okay with being in love with multiple people. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And through all of these different experiences between like, for example, the longer relationships you had with a man and your husband's other relationships and then this experience with Lauren, like what did all of this teach you? Like what do you feel like has been the biggest growth that has come Mm. from all of it? Hmm. Wow. So much. It's like really hard to pinpoint one. But I would say it doesn't have to be only one thing. Yeah. Well, I would say that the biggest learning is that love is truly the most fundamental and transformative force on the planet. It really is. Like, love will have you work on the shadow, it will have you bringing parts of yourself to the surface that maybe you haven't engaged with in 30 years. Like my eight year old self really feeling worthless, you know, came to the surface to be worked on in a relationship with another woman helped me heal my sister wound to be able to trust other women. And it really comes from, I think, unconditional love. I feel like unconditional love will really help you, as we talked about earlier, see people as their own person, like that they are their own person. And I think that monogamy in our culture mononormativity, right? That idea that like monogamy is the only way and it's the healthy and successful way to do relationships teaches us that once we're in a relationship, we are kind of in ownership of one another. And that like, I should have a say in how you live your life and you have a say in how I live my life. And we have all these restrictions. And I think there's plenty of people that are doing monogamy in a conscious way, for sure. Like I see it all the time. There's so many healthy monogamous relationships now that people are really waking up and choosing it. But it's in that idea of like, okay, you know, you can't do this because like I say so. That's like so conditional in your love. And I think it's realizing that like I'm going to love them no matter how they are. And I want them to actually fully express themselves so they can be on their healing journey and on their life path and, you know, kind of exploring all the things that they're meant to in this lifetime. And that's their journey, not mine. We're two individual people that are coming whole and complete on our own to be in partnership. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned from non-monogamy. Wow. I absolutely love all of that. And I 
really like I just really wanted to share too that like one of my favorite affirmations is I am whole worthy and complete and so I love that you use those two words together and I really think that the idea of unconditional love is something that we have to continuously explore and like really get real with ourselves and like am I placing conditions on my loved ones right now like am Mm -hmm. I making them feel like I will only love them if something and I really believe that whether you're in a monogamous relationship or not that can play out in either way right and it's going to be a continuous learning lesson that we learn through relating with other people and ultimately learning to accept other people for how they are and how they want to express who they Mm -hmm. are yeah I mean our relationships are such a vehicle for growth and so no matter yeah what your relationship is because I have my podcast for a year and a half now and sometimes people will just like come on the internet and be like, stop trying to make everybody non-monogamous and there's nothing wrong with monogamy. And I'm like, I'm with you. There's nothing wrong with monogamy, right? Like I, cause I don't think non-monogamy is for everybody. It's not like there are people that it will work for and there are people that like are really not suited for it and don't want it and are very happy and satisfied in their relationships. And that's what I want for people. It's like, as long as you're growing and you and your partner are evolving and like expanding, great. Yeah. Exactly. And like each person's expansion when it comes to their romantic experiences is so unique, right? So I think that's really important to also just like call out. And I think that is a more balanced approach as well. It's like being real and being like, yeah, it's not for everyone. It's for me. Yeah. It works for like it works for you, you know, but it might not work for other people. And I think that's even taking the unconditionality even further, right? It's like, yeah, I'm not like here tra- trying to place a condition and like trying to make a rule that says like, you know, F monogamy. Right. You know, figure out what you need and like be real with yourself on what your needs are when mm-hmm. it comes to your relationships too. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't believe like it's been an hour already. I feel like I know time has flown by and we can keep talking for hours, but I want to do some rapid fire questions so we can close out the episode. I do these with every single guest in every episode. So yeah. you can just answer them intuitively. Mm-hmm. But the first question is, do you have a quote or a mantra that you love, that you live by, or that you come back to frequently? Mm. Yes. I have everything I need. You are whole. Yeah, yeah you are whole. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah, I I have everything I need. I feel it more and more true like every day of my life. I have everything I need already. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. And do you have any books that you love that have been a big part of your own journey and that you would recommend to anyone listening? Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so gosh, so many. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's start with non-monogamy because I think if you're interested, if you're listening and you're like, I'm so interested in this lifestyle, there are a couple really incredible books out there right now. But my really good friend and coach just published a book called The Polyamory Paradox. Her name is Irene Morning. And it is, I feel like honestly, a handbook for how to do non-monogamy in a really consensual and thoughtful and conscious way. I love that book. And there's also a book if you want to understand women's sexuality more and release a lot of shame and guilt. The most influential book for me and instrumental in my growth as far as like not even in non-monogamy, but just accepting the fact that like I'm a sexual being 
and releasing shame around that was Untrue by Wednesday Martin, Dr. Wednesday Martin. So I would say those two, if you're interested in that part of the journey, when it comes to working with the mind and the power of psychedelic therapy and things like that, I highly recommend How to Change Your Mind, Michael Pollan. And then also, I love Joe Dispenza. He's written a lot of incredible books. I think You Are the Placebo is probably one of the best. And um, I, of course, found out about him by working on Heal, the documentary, and I did his advanced retreat in Dubai, and it was amazing. Um, And I think understanding the power of the mind and how to work with it, those those yeah, Joe is such a light worker. Like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. I still have yet to read his books though. So maybe I should yeah. check out that one first because mm-hmm. I tried reading you um, Becoming Supernatural and it felt so sciencey to me. Yeah, so. it's pretty sciencey. Yeah, but those are those are some really good ones. I was trying to think, is there anything else? But let's go oh. to the next question. I was gonna say, wait, one of my favorite books of all time, just for like life journey and inner growth in general. It are Michael Singer, The Surrender Experiment, and The Untethered Soul. I read but, Untethered yeah. Soul, but not Surrender Experiment. <gasps> you must read The Surrender Experiment. I think it's even more life-changing. Okay. I'll yeah. have to. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, next question is, what makes you feel like your higher self? Ooh. And it can be a few things. Mm, meditation. What kind yeah. of meditation do you do? Ziva meditation. My teacher is Emily Fletcher. It's essentially like TM, 20 minutes twice a day, but her specific method is incredible. So yeah, I try to meditate for almost 40 minutes every day. I, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's like truly committing to the practice. Yeah. 40 minutes every day. Well, you know, I'm not a saint. I've definitely wavered. <laughs> but I would say oh, that yeah, having, yeah. yeah, having that solid practice and being that devoted is the reason I was able to facilitate ceremony and and retreats and things like that for people for so long if I didn't have that as like my anchor I wouldn't have been able to do the work that I've done a hundred percent right like to hold space for other people you have to fill your own cup first so Mm -hmm. totally and last question is if someone didn't hear this entire conversation except this part what would you want to leave them with (sighs) Mm, if you're not growing you're dying (laughs) wait elaborate on that a little more I just that I, I think, well, your podcast is so amazing. It's all about inner growth. And I feel like what I've shared is really about like using different tools to accelerate your growth, self-awareness, enlightenment, and your relationship as a vehicle for not only self-expression, but self-actualization. And so mm-hmm. I feel like if you're not growing, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, that is true. I yeah. like that. And thank you so much for coming on the pod. This has been so cool. For anyone listening, if you want to hear my episode on Jess's podcast, you can definitely check it out at Open Late. But plug yourself, tell everyone listening where they can follow you or just connect with you and learn more. Yeah. Well, the best place would be our website, openlatepodcast.com. And you can download the podcast on any platform that you listen to, including YouTube. And on the website, you'll find lots of free resources for yourself and open relationships. The main one that I always recommend people start with is our quiz. So if you're like even mildly interested in exploring some level of like non-traditional relationship style, we have a quiz that you could take. It's free. It takes five minutes and it'll sort of help you understand like 
a like interested in being like monogamish, you know, lightly, or like you into full on polyamory. So it's a great place to start. Amazing. Thank you so much. And to everyone listening, thank you guys for tuning in. I'll see you in the next episode and remember to water yourself. We'll chat soon and sending everyone a big virtual hug. Thanks, Karen. (laughs) Thank you.